Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning. Um, I will do the scripture reading today. Like Joel said, um, it will start with the first two verses of Exodus 20, and then we'll end with Matthew 22. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can love you and we can love our neighbors because you have loved us first by sending Christ to die for our sins on the cross and for giving us new life in you. I pray that through Joel and through your word this morning that your love would be evident, that it would soften us, that it would help us to reconsider the ways that we can love you and love those around us in ways that show them who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Michelle. If you have signed a lease for some sort of living arrangement, and that could be at an apartment complex, it could be a condo, it could be for a house, uh, any sort of lengthy contract, you get a sense that uh, it's written by lawyers, uh, it has lots of sections, it's long, you don't always understand uh, exactly the specifics of it, but I hope that if you have ever signed a lease or if you are going to sign a lease, that you try to get a general impression of its design, what it's there for. Uh, A lease uh, tries to give you specifics for the place where you're going to live about what life there looks like. It's a sort of framing up of the house rules, so to speak, for whatever place that you occupy. And so oftentimes in these sections, it's going to address questions, right? Uh, Can I have pets here? Uh, Where am I supposed to park? Uh, When is the rent due and how much? Um, can I throw parties? Is that okay? Uh, what about uh, other people uh, living with me? Can I sublet? Is that an option? Uh, who gets a say in that? Now, in order to sign a lease, you don't have to necessarily know or understand all those things. I mean, you could ignore them altogether, but there could be consequences for that, right? Not paying your rent, uh, you know, fees for pets or whatever it may be. But the design of it in its nature is to give you a sense of what's expected. 
you are now living in this place. So how can you uh, go day to day, month to month, uh, getting along with not only the landlord, but the others who may live there? It's an entering into a community and an understanding of here's what's expected for your participation, not only for your good and safety, but also for the good of everyone else involved. And, and so while it often can be full of legal sections and language, uh, the design of it is one that invites you in to understand just what's expected and what that looks like. In the unfolding story of Scripture, there is this declaration that we live, we occupy space in God's world. There's this sense that He is the Creator. In an unabashed way, it declares God has created the world and has created you and has created all that is in it. And so we are now a part of His space. That's how Christianity historically now for thousands of years has understood the how we got here and at least a little bit of the why we are here. Each of you here this morning. And so as part of that unfolding story of Scripture, inherent to the structure, part of what's built in is a rule of love. One that invites us in to understand uh, what does it look like now that we're here as part of God's creation to live as a part of it. In the Old Testament, it was called the Torah or law. And it was a type of house rules for people to understand just who God is as the creator of the world and what he calls us to do. What are the expectations that are put on each of us? And the law, Torah, had different sections to it. Who do you worship? How do you rest? What are the ways that you can interact with your neighbor? What's the right response to anger? Does it matter who you sleep with? What does it look like to connect with other people in the community? How should you have perspective on the things that you own and the things that you want? The rule of love provided us and still provides us today a sense of God's expectations, his law, uh, his guide, his house rules for his world. And since we're a part of that, it helps us to understand how to fully participate in God's world when we're conversant with his law. And so in the months ahead as a church, we're going to pick up what's often considered kind of the best concise representation of that in the Ten Commandments. You may have heard of the Ten Commandments. I thought about opening this series with a challenge to have each of you actually taking two minutes of service and writing on the back of your worship guides, can you write out the Ten Commandments? I think it's a great challenge for each of you to make a goal that by the end of the year, you will be able to list the Ten Commandments without prompts. But we are going to pick this up as a church community. We're going to go week over week. So this week is kind of the intro week to help understand this rule of love and how it connects to our lives. But then uh, 
in the coming weeks, one week at a time, we'll pick up each commandment. So over the next 10 weeks, we'll pick up 10 commands. And, and my hope for each of you is that uh, as we pick it up, not only do you become conversant with just what those commandments are, but even more importantly, you begin to see and work through just what it looks like to have those house rules, God's rule of love for you and I in his world, to operate in our day-to-day lives. We may not always think about those rules, but... They're there for us. They're God-given for you and me to engage them and to interact with them and, and moreover to see how they come to bear on each of those aspects for our lives. And so this morning we're going to pick up as part of this intro in two points, the context of love and the consequences of love. The opening, so the Ten Commandments are found in two places in the Bible. So there there are two spots that you can go if you don't know any of the Ten Commandments. That's just fine. But you say, I'm going to take up your challenge, Joel. I'm going to go look and I'm going to figure out what these things are. What are the ten? Where can I find them, right? Uh, Well, Exodus 20 is the first place and Deuteronomy 5 is the second place. But we, through this series, are going to pick up Exodus 20. And what I want you to note in the opening of Exodus 20, because this is really important, is how it opens. I'm going to read for you in Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? Before God gives the commandments to his people, before he unpacks what the house rules are for his people who are following him, he reminds them of who he is and the context for his relationship to his people. That is, God had delivered them from 400 years of enslavement to the Egyptians. God is leading them out of the land of slavery, out of bondage, out of oppression. And he is guiding them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night to a land that he has promised to give them. And it is along the way of that journey as part of God's ongoing redemption that he gives them his law. God providing them a sense of just what he is asking them to do as an extension of his own character and as part of his acts of redemption. And just by nature of living in his world, God lays it out. Now, when kids, whether it's siblings or in school, try to give rules to one another, that doesn't always work out so well, right? Uh, Kids, you can help me out here. If another kid, whether that's a sister or brother or another kid in your school comes to you and they try to give you rules for the things that you have to do, do you typically respond to that well? What do you think? Hmm. I don't usually see it go so good. Why, why is that? It's because it's just another kid, right? So if they come and tell you, hey, here's the rules that you have to follow, part of the question becomes, well, who are you to give me rules? You're just another kid. 
One of the important things about the context of what God's doing here, kids, is it's kind of like if you're at school, but the principal comes in. And the principal pulls you aside, and the principal says, hey, I have a really important rule for how this school functions and how you're a part of it. And you may or may not follow that rule, kids, but the principal has your attention, right? As she may unpack that rule for you, you're going to listen to her because that principal is a part of the authority structure of the school. Unlike the kid who's just a peer who's giving you effectively their opinion, the principal is a part of the authority structure and the one who, in a sense, can tell you the rules. And not only that, has the power to affect those rules and deliver consequences for those rules. So in this context, God is reminding people of a few things. He's reminding them that he's the creator. It's his world. And not only that, God is a part of the authority structure for the world that we live in. He's God, and we're part of creation. We're not. God is not a peer. He is king. He's the one with the power. He is sovereign. He is good. God reminds his people that he has chosen them. He has elected them, that he has brought about their deliverance. He has freed them from captivity. He has brought them out of the land of slavery and is bringing them to a much better place. So it's not only merely kids that God is acting like a principal here in Exodus 20. It's he's acting like someone who not only is a part of the authority structure and not only has the power, but actually loves them, has called them, And is a part of their lives. And so that's the context of the giving of the law. God does give us a sense of what his house rules are for his world. But he's doing it in a context of not only his authority and power to do such a thing. But his love and redemption for his people. And so each week as we go through these Ten Commandments in the weeks ahead, we're always going to read Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2, as a part of the commandment that we cover for that week. That goal will be to reiterate for you when you hear that in the weeks ahead. My hope for you is that you remember like, oh yeah, the context here matters. That this isn't just a list of rules like a to-do list or things that you have to do, but this is a part of God's covenant with his people, his active and ongoing relationship. One that's built on redemption, one that's built on love. So as they head to the promised land as part of this redemption. It's as if God is giving them a lease agreement for the stay in the land that God has provided on the other side of the Red Sea. So they're going out of the land of slavery to this new place, and God provides them with a sense of, here's what's going to be expected for you once you arrive. Now, as they receive it, And as life for the people of God continue, it becomes an active question in the uh, 600 commands that God has given of what is the most important. 
uh, how do I frame up all these commands? Hey, that's a lot to remember in there. And some of these seem more significant than others, right? So uh, just as an example, there would be an active debate of that one that says do not murder. That seems pretty important in people's lives and in the life of our community, that one about how food gets played out or how fabric gets woven, that doesn't seem as important as the whole do not murder thing. And for hundreds into thousands of years, people would uh, try to navigate between those questions of like, what's the greatest of these? And how do we understand the house rules that God's provided for his people? So when we move forward to the gospel of Matthew, that is what's happening. The experts in the law, the people who invest their lives into it, the people who have PhDs in the study of Torah in the first century are coming to Jesus together, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to ask Jesus a question, what's the greatest command? How are we supposed to think about and understand all that's said in the law? Now, Uh, New Testament scholar Craig Keener in his commentary highlights that there are lots of different answers to this in the first century. That this was an ongoing debate. He even notes in the first century that some advocated for the greatest commandment of the law, the way in which you understand everything, to be obey your parents. Now, I know some of you are thinking, How did my parents get such historically and theologically driven pharisaical views as a part of their structure in the world? My point is to say this is just part of the ongoing debate of how we're supposed to understand all of this, right? And so they bring this to Jesus. Jesus, by the way, I know now the kids are going to be rejoicing, doesn't say obey your parents is the fundamental way which you understand all ethical questions. Jesus uh, instead focuses on love. He tells the expert, the people with their PhD, that the way in which you understand all that God has commanded is to love God with all of who you are, kind of the vertical component of life on earth, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing so, Jesus is bringing you into the reality of how God has given us a rule of love, this overarching way, a framework, a way to understand just what he's done. So now that we have the context of love, we begin to see that viewing the law that way, viewing and understanding God's house rules that way, comes with consequences. When uh, you break a lease, for sure you face consequences, whether that's uh, financial, you have to change uh, where you're living, so it involves a move, a change of address, and all those types of things. Uh, The point is, you can kind of set a lease aside and never look at it. But if you choose to do that, and you choose not to follow it, there may be some consequences that follow. Well, when we think about this rule of love, when we consider the Ten Commandments, we have to understand that It's true for God's law in our lives that there's a significance uh, to not following them, to setting them aside, to ignoring them. What we confessed earlier in the worship service, sin, part of how it's defined is either 
transgressions of the law, so ways in which we do exactly what God has said don't do, or we fail to do the things that God has commanded us to do. And so those violations, that sin, it separates us from God. It breaks our communion and fellowship with God. It destroys our relationship with God. Uh, surely this can't be too difficult to understand in as much as the same is true for all of our human relationships. If you're in a relationship and you ask someone, whether it's a friend or a partner, to not do something or to do something, and over and over again that friend or partner either doesn't do it or does it anyway, you begin to wonder, wait, does this person listen to me? Does this person love me? And damage begins to affect that relationship. Well, God is holy. He is perfect. He is wise. He is good. That's a part of who his character is. And so when he gives his people, part of creation, his law, and we don't listen, uh, we either do exactly what he told us not to do, or we fail to do the things that he asked us to do, it creates problems. So when we think about the world that we live in, why we experience violence and not peace, why we experience disorder and not order, why we experience division and not unity, why we experience abuse and not love, why we experience infidelity and not faithfulness, why we experience selfishness and not service, why we experience materialism and not generosity. From a Christian perspective, all of those things exist because of individual and corporate decisions to set aside and ignore God's law. It comes with consequences for us and for our community. And so when we dig deep into our own lives, and we think not only the ways in which we have experienced some of those realities, but the ways in which we individually have contributed to them, that uh, leaves us to wonder, well, who deals with the consequences of breaking God's rules? We may know what happens to the consequences when we break our own lease, but what happens when we break God's rules? What does that mean for our lives? Well, here there's both a challenge and great encouragement. The challenge, and one that we can't get too far afield of when we talk about faith and the things that we believe, is that the consequences are serious. That uh, breaking communion with the one true and living God who created the world, it's not like an apartment where you could just go find another. It doesn't work that way. Moreover, the payment for those consequences often is directly related to our very life and death. And so it's serious business in dealing with God, not just some flippant thing. And, and that's the challenge when we set it aside and we don't think about it much as we think, oh, well, I don't think about that much, so it must not be all that serious. But as you read through and as you invest time into the story of Scripture, you can see that messing around with God's rules is serious business with serious community effects. 
And so that's a challenge for us in the 21st century that we have to do business with. But there's encouragement in the midst of that. And that is that those house rules are a part of a covenant document. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, they're a part of God's covenant structure with his people. That is the ways in which God has elected and bound himself to his people reveal how he deals with those consequences of love. So if you think through in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and 29, and you can go read it later, but it's effectively a setting up of the blessings and the curses uh, that come with a part of being in God's covenant people. The hope that we have today in the 21st century is that when we fail to live up to what God calls us to do, that there is hope for us. This is the good news of Christianity. It is that God himself enters in. That when Jesus shows up, he takes all those consequences that we owe and he takes them upon himself. And then he shares with us the blessings that he has secured through his own covenant faithfulness. So that Jesus as effectively the one who has faithfully lived up to the house rules for the entirety of his life ends up saying, I will pay the price for your covenant unfaithfulness and I'll share my blessings with you. Jesus covers all of the consequences for the ways in which we have stepped on or violated God's law and offers to us his perfect obedience for our sake. That's what it means to be united together with Jesus. And that's the good news that Christianity offers. It's not we're going to give you 10 better ways to follow the Ten Commandments and clean up your lives. That's not what Christianity is about. It's also not about, hey, don't ever think about that stuff. That's just old and antiquated. You don't ever have to read uh, prior to the Gospel of Matthew. That's not Christianity either. Christianity and the Christian hope is that Jesus came and fulfilled our covenant obligations and now shares with us his covenant blessings because we've been united together with him in faith. So he takes on the consequences of our failure to love and allows us to share in the great blessings of his love for us. That's what the Gospel of John and 1 John 3 and other passages in the New Testament constantly remind us of, that our ability to love God and to love one another is built upon and rooted on, or rooted in the foundation of Christ's love for us. So that when we think about these things in the weeks ahead, what we're zeroing in on is what it looks like for us to be faithful now that Jesus has secured our blessing. So there are a couple of bad ways to think about the law, and I want to just talk in a real way about how to avoid those. One is to think, hey, we don't have anything to do with the law. Um, and, and there's, interestingly enough, two groups that don't always share things in common that can think that way about the law. So someone who just has a, a kind of view of the world that, like, science and technology are good, that provides us all the moral answers that we need, then they don't think they have any need for God's law. Why would I pick up the Ten Commandments? Those are just old things. And interestingly enough, uh, if you were raised in a church, particularly like an evangelical church, you may have been taught growing up, hey, it's just Jesus and me. 
Uh, so all I need is Jesus. I don't have to think about anything else. So my answer all the time to everything is Jesus. And in a sense, that's true. But it can lead you down a path of never being willing to engage with how God's house rules impact our lives in the day-to-day. So in both those instances, it can run you a bad direction of saying, uh, we don't need to ever engage with what God has set up for us, what he requires of us to live. The other dangerous way, maybe over on this side, is that you can think, hey, I just have to please God, and I know I've messed up on my lease, but if I faithfully follow all of the things, maybe he'll just be okay with me. You can view the law as an entryway to making things right with God. And on both these sides, you will never get there. By setting aside the law altogether and not doing business, then you aren't showing an understanding of both the context and consequence of love. But on this side, you're also misunderstanding just uh, your inability to ever do that uh, and uh, turning a blind eye to God's gracious offer of hope and deliverance for you in Jesus. And so in the weeks ahead, as we pick up and consider what God has commanded of us through the Ten Commandments, our hope is that you don't think, oh, why would I go to that? This doesn't impact my life at all. It does. If you want to move from violence back to peace, if you want to move from uh, a division back toward unity, if you want to move from infidelity to faithfulness, if you want to move from abuse to love, if you want to move from uh, materialism to generosity, if you want to head that direction, the law can help you. Not as a way of deliverance, but as a way of rethinking through how God comes to bear in my day-to-day life. And that's the value for us as a Christian community to take this up and to really think deeply about what God has commanded. It's not that we have nothing to do with the law, and it's not that we're trying to follow the law to make things good with God. It's that because of Jesus' covenant faithfulness, you and I now have the privilege out of a, a joyful heart of receiving God's grace and being united to Jesus and him taking on the consequences of our own failures and us receiving his blessing and saying, now I am empowered by the Holy Spirit poured out on our community to begin to work and live in a more faithful way in line with God's house rules. That's what it looks like for us to grow in our faith and to do business with how the creator of the world, our redeemer, the one who's shown his love to us in Jesus, empowers us to think about how his word comes to bear in our day-to-day lives, how you and I individually and as a church can think about God's rule of love. Let's pray together. God, I ask that you will watch over us as a community and that in the weeks ahead, we would do just that. As we pick up the commandments in order, God, I pray that we won't think about these things as instructions to clean up our own lives as if that were possible, but that we won't also set them aside and say, I don't have to ever think about those things, but rather empowered by your life, death, and resurrection, Jesus, and the pouring out of your spirit, that we will walk through what it looks like to joyously live lives that are faithful to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.